following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. John chapter 10 is where we are this morning. We're working our way through the Gospel of John this year. Uh, we've got study sheets for this series, by the way, if you want to continue studying and applying what we're talking about here, you can get hard copies of them on Sunday morning or you can access them on our website uh, through the uh, teaching homepage there. So those, those sheets will just help you keep applying what we are talking about as we go through this uh, book of the Bible. So the Gospel of John, fourth book in the New Testament, just after Luke, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 10, verse 1. And this is Jesus talking. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And then over to verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Okay, so the, the central image that Jesus is talking about here is the image of a shepherd and his sheep. And... For some of us, that's not a particularly familiar image. We don't have shepherds around us all the time. I think for most people outside of New Zealand, they assume this is very familiar stuff for us because there's more sheep than country uh, people in this country. You know, that's, I don't know whether that's ever been verified, but the perception is, you know, we, we found this when we lived in the States for two years. There's two main associations with New Zealand, Lord of the Rings and sheep. That's it. And I, I think the perception is we live among sheep all the time. We're just the sheep. We pass through sheep paddocks on our way to get to work in the morning, 
if the sheep ever rise up against us, you know, we'll be doomed. <laughs> that kind of image of people. But of course, most of us in this context live fairly urban lives. Um, maybe not all of us, but most of us, you know, we're, we're city people. And I mean, for our family, seeing a sheep is quite a novelty. We get quite excited about it. Uh, we took our family to Sheep World last year up in Matakana, and we went to the sheep show. We felt like tourists in our own country, sitting there at the sheep show, and you see the dogs herding in the sheep and people shearing sheep and so on. We had to go to Sheep World just to see how sheep farming works, even though we live in New Zealand. So for most of us, there's quite a lot of cultural distance. Even modern-day sheep farming is not much like first-century Palestinian shepherding. So there's a big gap between us and this image. But for Jesus and for his hearers, this would have been really familiar stuff. Uh, there were shepherds all over the fields of Israel, the mountains of Israel during this time. People would have known shepherds. Some of these people may have been shepherds. It was a familiar practice and a familiar occupation, and this was just life. So it's an obvious metaphor and image for Jesus to draw on to talk about who he is. Now, it's telling, I think, that Jesus addresses this whole talk about shepherding to the Pharisees. Do you notice that? At the beginning of chapter 10, he says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. So this is not a general discourse to his disciples or to a crowd. This is specific to the Pharisees, and that's significant because the Pharisees really saw themselves as the spiritual shepherds of Israel. They were among the religious leaders of this community of Israel. They, they knew the law. They were the guys. They, they knew the Torah, the law. They made sure everyone followed the law. They enforced it where necessary. They were the guardians, the spiritual overseers of the moral life, the, the spiritual life of the whole community of Israel. They really did see themselves, this God-given mantle of being the spiritual shepherds of the community of Israel. So when Jesus starts saying, now listen, you Pharisees, and he starts talking all this shepherding image, they immediately would have picked this up and thought, right, he's talking to us. Yes, we're the spiritual shepherds. What's he going to do? He's going to encourage us in our role and tell us how important it is to be good shepherds. But the news is not so good for the Pharisees here. Because what Jesus is doing in this passage, in John 10, is drawing on a much earlier part of Scripture. He's drawing on a prophecy in the book of Ezekiel. And it's, it's important to have a little bit of familiarity with that because it's such a strong backdrop to what Jesus says in John 10. The Pharisees would have known this because, remember, they knew the Lord. They knew their Old Testament intimately. So they would have recognized, oh, the shepherding language, that connects to a key shepherding text in the Old Testament. So I want to turn back there with you for a minute. Keep your thumb in John 10. Just flick back to Ezekiel chapter 34. Now, here's a prophecy God is giving through Ezekiel to the shepherds of Israel at the time or about the shepherds of Israel. Verse 2, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. So already the news is not good for those that see themselves as spiritual shepherds. These were the, they weren't Pharisees at this point in Ezekiel. These were the, the leaders of the people, the religious leaders. But clearly God's got something against them. He says, continuing in verse 2, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So this is an indictment against the shepherds of Israel. 
This is saying, shepherds, you religious leaders, you have failed in your role to look after the people of God, to shepherd them faithfully. You've been selfish, you've been brutal, you have not cared for the weak among the sheep, and you have not been faithful shepherds. And so here's what God says in verse 10. This is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds, and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. God's saying, you shepherds, you've failed in your role. I'm going to depose you from your position. I'm going to remove you. You're no longer going to be the spiritual shepherds. And here is what's going to happen in verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. It's a great prophecy of Scripture. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I'll bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. So what God is saying is, because the spiritual shepherds of Israel, in Ezekiel's day, remember, this is before Jesus, but in Ezekiel's day, the spiritual shepherds, the religious leaders of the community of Israel, have failed in their role to faithfully nurture the people of God. God says, I'm going to depose you, you're going to be gone, and I myself am going to come as the shepherd. God's not going to send a messenger. He's not going to send another shepherd. God says, I will come. I'm going to come, and I'm going to be the good shepherd. Now, with all that backdrop painted, come back to John 10 and read it with fresh eyes. What's Jesus? When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's not just pulling an image out of the air. He's not just thinking, well, shepherd's a good way to describe who I am. I'll go with that. He's drawing on the story of Israel. He's drawing on the prophecies of Israel. And he's saying, I am the good shepherd that Ezekiel prophesied would come. I am the one when God, when Yahweh said, I'm going to come back as the good shepherd. It's happening now in the ministry of Jesus. Ezekiel 34 is being fulfilled. And what that means, here's what's so striking, and you might not quite catch it from reading John 10 itself. Jesus is saying, I am God. Because if God has said, I will personally come back as the good shepherd, and Jesus is now saying, well, that's me. I am the good shepherd. Ergo, Jesus is God. This is a statement of Jesus' divinity. He's identifying himself here with a divine presence, with God himself. God has returned to his people. And this is, the, this is a great distinguishing mark of the Christian faith, that God did not just send us a messenger, that God did not just send us a prophet. He didn't just send us an ambassador. God has come to us as our good shepherd. God himself has visited us as the good shepherd. That's what Jesus represents, as Yahweh has come. Now, the, the news for the Pharisees, though, is not good. Because they are going to start connecting the dots too. They knew Ezekiel 34. They're going to hear Jesus start talking this way and they're going to think, hang on a minute. If the good shepherd has come, if Ezekiel 34 is being fulfilled, then wasn't part of that prophecy about the, the, the existing shepherds being deposed? Wasn't part of that prophecy, I am against the shepherds of Israel? So they're connecting the dots. This is what's so brilliant about Jesus. He doesn't even have to say much. He just pulls out this passage of Scripture they would have known and sort of leaves them to start connecting the dots. 
And he makes it a little bit more explicit here in verse 7, where he says, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I think the sheep, the, the thieves and the robbers are the, the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to. Now, when he says, I am the gate for the sheep, here's the image that he's drawing on. For first century shepherds in Palestine, when they settled their sheep at night, often what they would do, because they lived among the sheep, they slept among these sheep, and, and they would build these enclosures to protect their sheep. They'd get rocks or stones or sticks or bush or whatever they could find, and they'd build these circular enclosures like sheep pens. So don't think of well-constructed fences like we have today. These were often very makeshift, circular sheep pens that they would create, and there would always be a gap where the sheep could get in. So some of these survive today, and you can see that there's a gap there where the shepherd would have led his sheep into the sheep pen, and this would have kept them safe from predators. It would have kept wild animals from coming in. It would have kept other people from stealing the sheep. And when the shepherd led the sheep into the sheep pen, then he would come in and he would sit down or lie down at the entrance. So where that gap is for the sheep to come in, the shepherd would position his body so that he would physically be the gate for the sheep. Do you see what Jesus is saying now when he says, I am the gate for the sheep? He's not switching metaphors. This is not a different thing to saying, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd was the gate. The shepherd used themselves as a gate to keep the sheep in and to keep the predators out. That's who Jesus is for us in protecting us, in nurturing us, in, in using himself and his presence to shield us and protect us and to keep predators out, to keep out the thieves and the robbers. And I think Jesus said that with an eye on these Pharisees who were selfish and legalistic and small-minded in the way they were trying to lead Israel. And Jesus says, I've come to keep out these others. You thieves and robbers, you only want to kill and steal and destroy, but I am the gate for the sheep. Now, the primary work that Jesus has done for us as the good shepherd, the primary role that he has is spelled out in verse 11. Where he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's a clear reference to Jesus' death. Uh, one of the clearest in, in the Gospel of John, I think, this idea that Jesus' ministry is building toward crucifixion, toward his death. And Jesus knows it. He knows this is where it's heading. He knows that his ministry is going to involve his own personal self-sacrifice for the sake of others. And he uses this, this shepherding language to give us a beautiful picture of what his death has accomplished for us. He's the shepherd who's, who's laid down his life for the sheep. See, when we think about shepherds, the stereotype that we tend to have is we think that shepherds were fairly passive sort of guys. They lived a fairly sedentary kind of life. They were kind of just meandering among the meadows with the sheep every day and lying down at night by the campfire, looking into the stars with all these sheep huddled around. We kind of picture them, you know, fairly relaxed, pretty easy life. But these were rugged individuals, these shepherds. These were burly, muscly, rugged guys, right? Much like myself. Really rugged individuals. <laughs> no, just kidding. They weren't, they weren't spindly guys like me. They were, they were muscly. They were rugged because this was a hazardous job. This was tough work. If a sheep wandered off, 
the shepherd had to go get them. And it wasn't just wandering through the meadows. They might have had to go down a rocky ravine into dangerous territory, face other wild beasts. They were taking their life in their hands. They had to fend off other people who might want to steal the sheep. They especially had to fend off wild animals. And if, if a wild animal came along and tried to attack the flock, it was the shepherd's responsibility to personally go after that predator and make sure that it, it was killed and kept away from the sheep. And Jesus uses this as an image of what he has done for us. The image that he gives us as this passage develops is that there's a wolf who has come to attack the sheep. So we are the sheep. It's not a particularly flattering description of us, of all the animals that the Bible could call us. We're sheep. We're dumb, ignorant animals. You know, that's kind of the impression. But we're all sheep. And Jesus says there is this wolf. And the wolf, I think, is not really representing the Pharisees at this point. This is the ultimate enemy of God, the, the Satan. This is an image of the devil, the wolf. And Satan's described in various ways through Scripture, with various animals. You think back to uh, the fall in Genesis 3, how he appears as a serpent. And now here he is in John 10, described as a wolf. And both images are appropriate, aren't they, for thinking about Satan, that in his cunning, he is serpent-like. He's like a wolf in his ferocity, in his aggression, in his hostility towards us. He is wolf-like, and Satan has come and attacked humanity. He's attacked, you may not feel attacked by a spiritual presence, but this is what Satan has done. He's attacked each of us. Really what he has done is attacked the image of God within us. He's attacked our relationship with God to pull us apart from the shepherd to pull us away from the shepherd's presence through our own sin, through our own selfishness, our own idolatries. He's pulled us away from the shepherd's presence. He's attacked our relationship with the Father. He's attacked our relationship with ourselves to sow seeds of, of, of doubt and discontent and, and, and troubled minds and hearts that we live with. He's attacked us. He's attacked our relationships with one another. Satan has attacked every dimension of our lives and led us away from the presence of the shepherd. That's what he wants to do with you. That's what he wants to do in your life, is to draw you away from the shepherd, to attack you and ultimately dehumanize you by robbing you of the image of God in your life. The way that you were created to live in relationship with God and self and others, Satan wants to mess all of that up. And this is his work to rob, to kill, to destroy, to steal away our humanity, steal away the image of God within us. And here is what Jesus has done for us. He comes as the good shepherd, the faithful shepherd. And as any good shepherd would, he's placed himself between us and the wolf. That's what Jesus is. You think about the cross. Think about Jesus hanging there on the cross. One image to describe that scene is that there is the faithful shepherd hanging on the cross, placing his body between you and the wolf. That's what he's doing there. He's placing himself between you and Satan, you and the devil, you and all the forces of evil, so that the wolf sets its sights on Jesus instead of you. So the wolf has now set his sights on Jesus and attacked him. And the cross is this concentration of evil upon the person of Jesus. And Jesus won that battle, didn't he, at the cross? He fatally wounded Satan, sent the wolf away, fatally wounded, limping off to die. But in the process, the shepherd lost his life. 
in the process of the battle, in defending us and confronting the wolf, Jesus lost his life and he willingly laid it down for us so that we would be protected from the clutches of the evil one, from Satan, from the stranglehold of sin and death and evil that Satan wanted to get his claws around us. Jesus has protected us from that through his own death. But then the other side of the story is Jesus says, I lay my life down only to take it up again. If, if Jesus only died for us and remained dead, we'd still be sheep without a shepherd. But Jesus says, no one has authority to take it from me. I lay my life down. I take my life back up. And that's what he did when he was resurrected. He was raised from the dead and he's now returned to us as our shepherd. And Jesus has come back to us to lead us into good pasture to lead us into a place of freedom, lead us into a place of forgiveness, a place of grace, to lead us into that spacious place of the presence of God where we find peace with God, where we find forgiveness, where we find life with God, we find new creation, we have the hope of new creation, and we find that we're part of the people of God, the sheep, the flock of God's pasture, that he shepherds us in the good land. That's what God has done. That's what Jesus has done for us. It's a wonderful picture of the atonement. It's a wonderful picture of the death of Jesus as our shepherd, laying down his life for the sheep. Now, here is our responsibility as sheep. Here is what Christ asks of us. He's, he's laid his life down. He's led us into good pasture and given us freedom. Here's what he asks of us in verse 27. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's our responsibility as sheep is to listen to the voice of our shepherd as he guides us and as he pastures us. I read the story of a, a guy who spent the night with some Palestinian shepherds in Israel. And these shepherds each night would bring in about five or six flocks of sheep together. For safety's sake, the sheep would gather together each night in one big huddle in one camp. And so the sheep would all become one group, and all, of, all the flocks would get mixed in together for the night. And then in the morning, the shepherds rose early, and they needed to sort out their sheep. They needed to figure out whose sheep was who, and they hadn't tagged them or anything. There was no visible, obvious way of knowing. But here's what the shepherds did. Each of these shepherds, they went and stood out a distance from the camp and separated themselves around the camp, and gave themselves some space and distance from their sheep. And then simultaneously, each of these shepherds began giving his own sheep call, using his voice. And each of them had a unique call and a unique voice, and they started giving their own sheep call. And the guy said it was amazing. As soon as these shepherds started the call, the sheep started to move. And they just started naturally. They listened to the voice of their shepherd. They knew who it was, and they just began going to their shepherd. He said after five minutes, there wasn't a single sheep in the camp. They'd all separated themselves and gone and stood perfectly with their shepherd, and the flocks had separated themselves. The shepherds didn't need to tag their sheep. They didn't need to worry about sheep gates and things to, to separate out their sheep at that point. They could just call their sheep, and their sheep knew their voice. How well do we know the voice of our shepherd? Can you hear the voice of the shepherd that well? Can you pick out the voice of Jesus from all the other voices that are calling out to you inside your own head from other people from our culture can you hear the voice of the shepherd that well 
See, the only way that those sheep were able to hear the voice of the shepherd and respond to it is because they had spent time with that shepherd over a long period of time. They knew the shepherd because they'd lived in proximity with the shepherd. When a lamb was born, it was often the shepherd who delivered the lamb. The first voice they'd hear would be the voice of the shepherd. The first touch they would feel would be the touch of the shepherd. And the shepherd would make sure that the, that the, sheep, the mother sheep was looking after that little lamb. They'd make sure that lamb got the freshest springs of water. They'd make sure that lamb was led to the to greenest pastures. And the shepherd would have a role in nurturing that little lamb from the, the youngest age. So as the lamb grew, it would be natural for that lamb to trust the shepherd. To list, to hear, they'd hear that shepherd's voice every single day, all the time. They'd be in the presence of the shepherd all the time, sometimes being carried by him, sometimes walking alongside. They'd know that shepherd because they'd spent time with that shepherd. If we want to learn to hear the voice of the good shepherd, we've got to be spending time in his presence. If you're distant from God, if your relationship with him is kind of half-hearted, and yeah, I kind of spend a bit of time with him when I get around to it, and maybe just in church, and that's it, and it's all very aloof, you're not going to be able to hear his voice. You're not going to be able to pick his voice out of the crowd. If you're not intentionally spending time in the presence of the shepherd, you're not going to hear him. And it's not enough to say, well, I, I can't really hear what God's saying to me. I, I can't really understand. I can't really sense it. I don't really know what he's saying and what, where he's leading me and how he's got. Are you spending time with him? Are you in the presence of the shepherd? Are you spending time in his word? That's primarily where he's going to speak to you. And as we learn to hear him better on the pages of the scriptures that he's already revealed, the word that he's already given us, the written word, we're going to be able to hear him better when he wants to say specific things to us or lead us here or there or prompt us or guide us or nudge us or convict us or challenge us. You're going to hear all of that personal stuff a lot better if you're grounded in listening to Jesus in his written revealed word. Do you have a habit of spending time in the Bible? It comes back to really basic practices, doesn't it, that we talk about so often here. Do you have a habit of spending time in the Bible? Do you have a habit of prayer? And Scripture and prayer can look like a lot of different things, a lot of diversity in the way we can engage with Scripture and relate to God, not always talking at Him, sometimes just being still in His presence. Be still and know that I am God. When was the last time you were just still in the presence of God? Just quietened your own heart and just sat and enjoyed God's presence in an unhurried way. Just You were just there. You just were focused in His... I mean, you say, yeah, I'm always in the presence of God. Yes, but there's something about a relationship that needs to be intentional, needs to be focused, conscious time in the presence of God. Have you got those habits established? If not, start today. Don't worry about, yes, don't worry about, oh, it's been so long, and now I'm, now I'm feeling really guilty. Don't worry about all that. Just start today. Just start following the shepherd today. Be around him. Spend time with him. Follow him. Because then you're going to start to hear his voice. Then you're going to be able to hear more easily when he, does, when he wants your attention. Now, I still think that's a lifelong process. It's not a case of saying, I'm going to go read my Bible today, tomorrow. I'm going to have perfect ability to tune into the voice of the Good Shepherd, the voice of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work like that. This is a lifetime journey. We're all still learning to try and tune into the voice of the shepherd. But as you spend time with Jesus, as you make it a regular practice to soak yourself in Scripture, engage in prayer, you're going to be better able to hear the voice of the shepherd in, in, in all kinds of ways. One way in which this happens is that as you learn the voice of the shepherd, 
you're better able to distinguish between the voice of guilt and the voice of conviction. That's a subtle difference, isn't it? Conviction is the voice of the shepherd. Guilt is the voice of the devil. It's a subtle but huge distinct. When, when you do something wrong, when you mess up, when you just act in ways that are really unhealthy, it's the voice of guilt that is going to lead you down a certain path. It's going to lead you to self-pity. It's going to lead you to guilt. It's going to lead you to shame. It's going to lead you to self-loathing and self-hatred. It's going to lead you to blame. It's going to lead you to ignore it and squash it and just try and get on with it, and it's not my fault. It's going to lead you to all those kinds of responses. That's the voice of guilt. The voice of the good shepherd, which is not going to compete with all those voices, by the way, but the quiet voice of the good shepherd is going to lead you to repentance. He's going to lead you to confession. He's going to lead you to name what has happened and to bring that thing before God honestly and to seek His forgiveness, which is already given to you in Jesus, but to claim it afresh and to be refreshed by the grace and the love and the mercy of God again and to be renewed in our relationship with God and when necessary to make restitution with other people. That's the work of the Good Shepherd. But it takes discernment to hear that voice. And then after you have come to God, with that thing, gone through that process, being renewed in your relationship with Him, you're back on your feet again. You, you know what the voice of guilt does? Keeps bringing that thing up. And this is the voice of guilt. It's going to keep reminding you. It's going to convince you. The evil one is going to try to keep convinced you're not really fully forgiven. And I'm amazed at how I can be sitting down, having time with God, sometimes you know, reading the Bible and Satan picks that moment to bring up something in my head that I did years ago. Some stupid thing. Whatever. You know, he, he does whatever he can do, doesn't he? To drag us down. And for me, he often picks those moments when I'm trying to spend time with God and the voice of guilt is there to say, hey, I hey, just want to remind you about that thing that you did a couple of years. Don't you remember that? Shouldn't you feel a bit worse about that? You know, shouldn't you really, like, are you sure that's really forgiven? All of that stuff goes on and he drives the knife in and tries to wound us with that voice that's the voice of guilt the voice of conviction after we've repented is the voice of freedom it's the voice of grace it's the voice saying you are forgiven and free you are no longer in, in chains you're free you're redeemed bask in the grace of you don't deserve it you didn't earn it but you are free. That's the voice of grace. But how well can we listen to the voice of conviction and follow it rather than getting sidetracked with the voice of guilt? I'm still learning that one. I, that's an area I really struggle with, to be honest, is hearing that voice and really responding to it. Sometimes we've got to speak it to ourselves, don't we? We hear that voice of conviction and we've got to be able to say to ourselves, I, I am forgiven for this. I don't need to keep having this brought up and being dragged mentally and emotionally back into that space. I'm forgiven. We need to speak that voice, the shepherd's voice sometimes, into our own soul to really get it in there. How well are you listening to the voice of the shepherd? I'll give you one more area of life I think this applies, is our ability to tune in to Jesus when he's prompting us in ways of serving or blessing or encouraging someone else. Because Jesus wants to use us to reach out to other people He's got ways for us to do that, and he wants to nudge us in that direction. That's the voice of the shepherd. But so often we miss it because we're not tuned into his voice. I think Anna is way better at this than I am. 
she, she just has that ability, willingness, openness of heart to really tune into the prompting of the Spirit, the prompting of the Good Shepherd, whether it's to write a letter to someone who needs encouraging, send a text to someone, make a phone call, send a care package, whatever it is. She really tries to be responsive to the promptings of the Spirit, the prompting of the Good Shepherd, and to listen to that voice. Not always easy to do, not always easy to hear, but this is how Jesus wants to minister to people, is to use us as His hands and His feet. He's looking for people who will say, here here I am, I want to be available to that. I, I want to be able to serve others, but that takes a responsiveness to the voice of the shepherd. Even in simple things like prayer, are you open to the fact that Jesus might be wanting to lay another person on your heart to pray for at a given moment when they're struggling? Has it ever happened to you that you've been struggling and you found out later someone's been praying for you and it's just been right at that moment and something's needed to happen and God orchestrates this stuff. Sometimes you'll need to be the person receiving prayer, but God's wanting to use you at specific moments of someone else's need to pray for them. So don't miss it. Be open enough. Have an open heart. Ask every day, God, make me available today. If there's someone you want to put on my mind, if there's someone who's struggling right now, you want me to pray for them. Maybe it'll involve some sort of action, but start with just just lift that person in prayer and just stop and quieten yourself long enough to hear the voice of the shepherd reminding you, prompting you. Who do you need to lift up in prayer right now? Who might be battling out there? Because one day it'll be you and you're going to be hoping like crazy God's speaking to someone else about praying for you in that moment. So be that person for somebody. All these ways, and there's a lot of others we could name, but these are ways of listening to the voice of the shepherd. How well are you listening? How easy do you find it to really tune into the voice of the shepherd, to listen and to hear it, and then to respond to it with courage? Jesus has already laid his life down for us. He's already given us every blessing. He's brought us into relationship with him, and now he asks us to tune into what he is doing and to learn to listen to him and to learn to follow what he's doing. So let's learn to do that. Let's learn to be people who spend time with the shepherd, who really live in close proximity with the good shepherd, not remaining distant, but drawing close every day to build deeper and deeper that relationship of presence and intimacy with the shepherd so that we can practice listening to his voice. Those times he wants to speak, let's be available. Let's open our hearts and and ask him to make that voice clear to us and to enable us to distinguish it from the clutter, the volume of, of messiness and noise that we're all dealing with every day. But let's learn to, to pick out the voice of the shepherd above all other voices and then to have the boldness to lean into those things when they come. To, to take the moments, to pray the prayer, to, to follow where the shepherd is leading. Not, not enough just to hear his voice, but to faithfully follow and go where the shepherd leads us because we know that we can trust him, because we know that he will protect us, because we know that he loves us, because we know that he's already laid down his life for us as the good shepherd. Let's hear his voice. Let's listen to him. Let's follow where he leads us. Let's pray together. Even now, Jesus, as we have a moment of quietness here, I pray you'd tune us into your voice. You've said, my sheep, hear my voice. 
And Jesus, we confess that so often we're just wandering aimlessly or doing our own thing and we just don't hear you speaking. We pray in this moment, as we're still here in your presence, that Jesus, if there's something that you want to say to us, I pray you'd speak. If there's something you want to put on our heart, something about our own life, if there's something about someone else that you want to place on our heart to pray, to serve. If there's a situation in our life, God, that you want to speak to us about now, we pray you'd speak. God, if there's something that we're thinking, if there's an attitude we're holding, if there's a whole way of, of living and thinking that we've fallen into and we're just not even aware of it, God, I pray right now, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. If there's something, God, that we've never been aware of before. And God, if there's nothing, then we want to be okay with that too. Help us not to fill the silence with our own voices. God, maybe today you're just calling us to rest in your grace and to enjoy being forgiven people, being free people, being sheep that are cared for and protected by a loving shepherd. Just help us to live really deeply in that reality. Jesus, we, we can have these times of reflection and silence, but we know we go out from here into a busy week. There's going to be so many voices. I pray, Lord, for every one of us, help us to hear your voice amidst the clamor of voices. Help us to hear your voice of truth this week, we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.